0: Friends, welcome back to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm so excited for this episode. Our guest is Michael Cusick. Michael is the author of a wonderful book called Surfing for God. Uh, He's the founder of a ministry called Restoring the Soul. He is a licensed counselor and runs intensives for men struggling with sexual issues and, and he hosts an incredible podcast called Restoring the Soul. Welcome to the show, Michael.
1: Thank you for having me. We were just talking how it's been, I think four years since
0: we were together face-to-face. So it's nice to be virtually face-to-face. Yeah, absolutely. It is great to see you again. I'm glad for this technology that uh, we can connect like this and I can see you over Zoom and um, to do this podcast. I've been looking forward to this ever since we really started this uh, podcast back in February here, 2020. Uh, And really I have to say, Surfing for God is one of the best books that I've read on this topic of sexual addiction and unwanted sexual behavior uh, to date. It is one of the first books that I recommend on this topic for guys that are needing help. Um, and it is the book that I get the most positive feedback from, uh, from those that I recommend it to you. Uh, it is uh, just just a phenomenal contribution. So, first, I just want to say thank you for writing this book. It's um, it really is uh, a, a life changer. Some of the stories that you use and and the the uh, uh, the metaphors, the allegory, it's um, it's just beautifully written. So, thank
1: you. So, can I throw it back at you and ask a question? And I've never done this. Um, in light of guys saying that it's one of the most helpful, what is it that you think is helpful and and how is it different? Because most people say, yeah, this is a, a different approach, but what are you hearing?
0: That's a great question, really. And I think it's great for our listeners to hear that as well. It's, um, it's just just to to for brevity, it's a um uh, the i think that it's very easy to engage the stories uh, make it easier to consume your vulnerability uh the examples and and then the help you know there's it's it's very fresh and and the help that you offer in the book i think is is top i mean it's spot on it's different than what the church has been looking at for so many years on issues of accountability and so on and um yeah i love the way that you you spin that on uh, coach accountability cop accountability and and heart you know real heart cardiac i think you you call it cardiac accountability so there's there's some spins in the way that you 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 put it together that's really helpful and easy to engage so those are some some of the comments. I mean, there's there's a lot more, very very much uh, on the line of specifics, the allegory in the beginning with the feathers and so on, um, and uh, the idea of what we're giving away when we are masturbating. We're giving away our masculinity. I mean, it's just uh, there's so many different things that's, that that men have found really helpful that I've heard. Oh,
1: well, that's that's fun and helpful to hear. I've actually never read the book. i i wrote the book but i never went back and i read it
0: (laughs) i know what you mean yeah i've done some writing and uh and and i've distributed uh, some early copies of stuff to to help guys and they come back and and uh some of the things that they say i'm like i don't remember writing that (laughs) but uh it is yeah it's a it's a wonderful thing so um could you tell us a little bit? Open if you could open up that uh, topic on how you came to to writing this book.
1: You bet. Uh, I just celebrated the 26th anniversary of my D-Day when things blew up, July 10th, 1994. Um, and I did a lot of counseling work before everything blew up. Uh, as a single man, I was in counseling for about three years. As a married man. Um, I went through a master's degree in counseling and had a lot of deep interaction around my heart. Uh, But there was a pocket of my life that was hidden as there is for so many of us. I shared 93% of the reality of my story. Uh, And then after graduate school, I was hired by the university where I was to work as a counseling intern. And at the near the end of that year, Uh, I was caught in my addiction uh, the third year of my marriage, and of course, it was the worst day of my life, but as I say in the book, it was the best day of my life because it was really the doorway into finally being fully known, and I discovered that uh, I could be loved, albeit in the wake of the devastation I caused. Um, My wife and I walked through a very long, painful journey, as I know that you did too, and uh, we celebrated our 29th year of marriage uh, shortly before that 26th anniversary of our d-day and uh, i went on to become a full-time professor for a number of years and i taught biblical pastoral counseling to students and i would just ever so slightly share about my struggle and what i discovered and you know this is when the internet was just starting to boom In the late 90s early 2000s and men would just come out of the woodwork saying you know hey you you alluded to or you talked about a struggle with your sexuality and lust and uh god started to say to me "Uh, i want you to be a steward of your story and there was very little written back then by christians except some generic books and pat Carnes had written 10 years earlier the book out of the shadows and some of his work was becoming more popular and so when I decided to write Surfing for God, which is almost 10 years ago now, I said, on the one end of the spectrum, you have the approach of just stop sin management. Um, and I won't refer to the books that that uh, perpetuate that. But for many men back then, that was sufficient. But as the internet grew and um, access and anonymity and um, affordability of uh sexual sin grew and grew that model became less and less helpful because there really were more patterns of addiction and compulsion where pornography captured men's hearts but also their neural pathways on the other end of the spectrum you had everybody is an addict and addiction is a disease and you need to go to a 12-step program perhaps for the rest of your life And there, I wasn't seeing a lot of men actually experience freedom. They were immersed in a culture of healing that it was a safe place, and they could learn a lot about their addiction, but not necessarily getting a lot of traction. And if they were, it was sobriety and not freedom. And I make a big distinction between that. And for the record, I grew up going to Alcoholics Anonymous with my dad, and I have great respect for the 12 Steps, and I currently participate in... Uh, a 12 step program around food issues. And so um, it's not that I'm dissing the 12 steps, but with those two ends of the spectrum, you're an addict and you have a disease on the one hand and just try to manage it on the other. Uh, I said, what's the middle ground? And is there a path where I could give men language for their soul and their heart and their inner life to understand their brokenness, uh, where People didn't just have to continue striving and flexing their muscles, but didn't have to say they were an addict. And the backstory to the book is I went to a conference where uh, Dallas Willard spoke, and I kind of snuck in, if you will, because it was a group of 60 scholars and thought leaders around transformation. The reason I was there is um, he had graciously allowed me to interview him uh, because I thought one day I would start a podcast. And at the beginning of this conference, Dallas, who was there to speak on deep issues about the kingdom of God, and he was a professor for 45 years at University of Southern California, as well as a Baptist minister, one of the most brilliant men who's influenced me. At the beginning of this conference that had nothing to do with sexuality, He, he talked like Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island for those in an older generation. And he said, before I begin my formal talk, i would ask you to indulge me i've written a paper on transformation and healing from pornography and he said during the conference please read this and we're going to interact with what i'm talking about in the paper with these ideas about the kingdom of god and transformation and here were his words he said if what we're talking about with the gospel doesn't impact and affect the issue of pornography in compulsion and addiction, then let's close our notebooks and go home. And it was at that moment that I said, I'm gonna write that book. I'm gonna write the book on spiritual formation uh, that gives us a lens of addiction. And it took me four more years and a couple of miracles because I'm not a writer. I communicate with my mouth. Um, it was a great battle to get the book published, but that's the backstory. And it's really my journey uh, plus what I learned as a professor about transformation and trying to translate that into a language that
0: men can understand. Yeah. Thanks so much for spelling that out. Um, I love that the meeting with Dallas Willard and, and that makes so much sense. We should close our books and go home. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, um, a couple of paradigms too that uh, uh, I've heard along the way in my own recovery journey that uh, once you're once an addict, always an addict, and these things, and it's like that didn't line up with the scripture either. When I look, when I when I read my Bible, like uh, in Galatians five, it says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. So don't go back to the sinful behavior. Is pretty much what it says. So it's it is um, not. Uh, in line with who God says that I really am. Uh, and, and that's, um, yeah, it, it does need to be spelled out, like you said. And so um, I wanted to ask you about chapter two, not specifics in that chapter, but just the, the title of it is, it's not about sex. And I know that that's been such a huge awakening for so many men when they look at it, because so many men think that it's uh, because they have a huge sex drive, uh, larger than normal sex drive or whatever it is. And um, you and I both know that it really isn't the underlying issues. Uh, we do not discover on our own. We need help. We need someone to enter into that story and that journey with us and point out the blind spots. So, and it is beautifully written as well, that chapter, if you can talk a little bit about what, what is it really about if it's not about sex?
1: Great question. In 1 Corinthians 6, in the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson said it this way, uh, he said, sex is more than mere skin on skin. It's as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. And uh, that that shows us several things. That yes, sex can be for reproduction and to be fruitful and multiply. Yes, sex can be a gift for couples. That's just a a, a profoundly pleasurable bonding experience. Yes, sex can be a way of um, uh, creating connection, but sex is also meant to be a signpost of what God is like. And there's a quote that I'm uh, fond of saying more recently since I wrote the book, most of us know what God tells us about sex, but what does sex tell us about God? And sex is meant to reveal something of the relational, trinitarian nature of God. And so in the privacy of a bedroom, or wherever sex may happen, within a covenantal relationship, uh, the sexual intimacy is two becoming one, and one plus one isn't two, it's actually three, because there's a husband, there's a wife, and then there's something that is the third component, and that is the relationship. There's actually uh, an outside of the individual reality. And, And that two becoming one of one plus one equals three is really a reflection of what God is like, that in the Trinity, there's three separate persons and one substance. So the spiritual mystery that it's about um, because our soul is body, mind, emotions, will, and our core being of our spirit, uh, that the spiritual aspect is really inclusive of all that we feel in our body—the pleasure of our body, the the calm, the peace, the comfort, the love, the sense of affection—all of that exists in the Trinity. Now, the book title. Surfing for God. Um, I remember when I was on the first podcast, or radio show right after the book came out, the book Soul Surfer was popular at the same time. And that's the book, uh, Bethany Hamilton, where she had her arm bit off by a shark. So I would start the radio program by saying Surfing for God is not the book about me getting my arm bit off by a shark. But uh, and I'm, I'm not part of Switchfoot. I'm not a surfer. But that quote came from related to your question, G.K. Chesterton Uh, the the journalist and novelist from the early 1900s said that uh, the man knocking on the brothel door is knocking for God. And I heard that quote many, many years ago. And as I started to write the book, I thought, well, if that's true, and I believe it is, because that was part of my journey, going to to prostitutes and strip clubs and monetary exchange for sex, uh, that the man surfing the internet is surfing for God. And so there's a hunger in our hearts that's beyond biological. It's it's more than just the release, and it's more than just that pleasure. And as you said, it's more than just a high sex drive of I've gotta have sex. That, that what, we're, what we're longing for is a sense of connection, a sense of being wanted, a sense of having enough. You're probably familiar with the quote, and your listeners may be familiar with the quote from John Eldridge in Wild at Heart where he said, the reason why porn is the most addictive thing in the universe is that it allows a man to feel like a real man without requiring him to be a real man. So that's an example of how it's not about sex, but it's about uh, an experience of manhood where we can have intimacy without risk and vulnerability, where we can have comfort without depending on another Where we can feel powerful in our mind, the fantasy or the image, without having to be humble and responsible. Um, And so I'll talk about, uh, in the very next chapter, after you mention, about the thirst and the desires in our heart. And if you want to, we can unpack that, but I'll I'll wait for you because I'm talking a lot.
0: Yeah. you read my mind, Michael. That's, uh, that's exactly it. Um, the concept of disordered desire as well, uh, is something that I had never heard before until I read your book. And disordered desire uh, is kind of what you're talking about. There's a, there's a healthy desire that we're longing for, but we, we go to unhealthy sources. Is that, is that kind of what disordered desire means or what, what is your take on that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm a licensed therapist. And so I I live and breathe in the world of diagnosis. And there's so many words, you know, like I have bipolar disorder, for example. And there's so many words with the word disorder on it that it can sometimes pathologize us. And I prefer now to use the word uh, misplaced or mishandled desires. And, and that might actually be a better description because it feels like it's more active than if it's disordered. The word disordered desire, though, comes, you know, back to the church fathers and mothers in the desert. Um, they spoke of what it means to have a well-ordered soul. And that the way that uh, we were created was for our, uh, our desires not to be renounced but brought to God, and for our desires to be attached to uh, to to Him and to the Trinity in a way where we're drawing our life from Him. Now, they didn't understand the brain and neural pathways, but there's even a neurological aspect of that. That, to the degree that we didn't get that attachment, uh, sense of being seen and soothed, and being able to feel safe in our own bodies, that would develop a sense of security that psychologists call attachment. But yeah, the desires, um, it's so important for us as men. You've probably done this hundreds of times, but you sit with a man and you ask the question, well, what do you want? What do you desire beneath this struggle? What are you really looking for? And most men haven't thought about that. But if you ask the average man in Christianity, what do you want? They'll say, I don't know. You know, I want to not have conflict in my marriage, and I'd like to take a vacation when COVID is over, and uh, I might like a promotion. But Jesus in John 7, you know, invites us to come to himself based on our desire. He says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me, and streams of living water will flow from within. And um, I think that that's one of the very first invitations to a man trying to recover from a lust Porn or sexual struggle is, are you thirsty and what are you thirsty for? So, the great church philosopher and thinker Aquinas, uh, I have this quote in the book, and and so many men just kind of cling to this because it's a new idea. Aquinas said that every sinful behavior is rooted in a legitimate God given appetite. So, it can just be so helpful and healing uh, to think about my addictive, compulsive looking at porn is actually a good desire that's mishandled and misplaced. And so repentance, not just blink your eyes three times, pray a prayer, flip a switch, and okay, I'm done, I repented. But repentance is the over and over process of beginning to turn where I find happiness, where I find safety for my soul, where I find connections for intimacy, and it's just so important to address those legitimate God-given desires. So, you know, there may be a hundred legitimate God-given desires in Scripture and in our human experience, but I boiled it down to seven, and it's four A's and three S's, attention, affection, affirmation, and acceptance, uh, significance, satisfaction, and security. And each of those words representing a desire has a question attached to it that I unpack in the book um, that really speaks to our our souls. Um, and by the way, you know, I, I almost inserted the word there, masculine soul, because I wrote Surfing for God for men, uh, but like the old secret deodorant commercials that says strong enough for a man but made for a woman, Surfing for God was made for men but strong enough um. For women, and a fair number of women have written and said that it's been helpful for them, not just with a lust or porn struggle, but with uh, eating disorders or other kinds of addictions, because it really is more of a universal model.
0: So true. Yeah, thanks for spelling that out. The seven core thirsts. I actually did want to ask you about those. And and Aquinas. That's um, totally true. Uh, the 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 idea of um, misplaced desire. It makes so much sense when you unpack it, and it's it's been so interesting in the course of ministry and helping men and women. It's it's extremely rare that anyone figures these thing these things out for themselves, but uh, we need help. We need people to enter into this story, and and I think um, what a great opportunity for people to read this book and to have you be able to enter into their story and shine the light on some of these things that we have been um, uh, in the dark about. And another thing that I think people are in the dark about is this idea of shame and guilt and chapter six in your book is called shame and core beliefs. And if you could uh, explain a little bit about what that is and the difference between shame and guilt, I would love to hear that. Absolutely. Uh, And I, I've, Said a lot recently, you know,
1: things just pop into my mind, and sometimes when I say them, they go, huh, that's important. So I've said this over and over again that shame makes the world go round, and uh, how people are driven to succeed, and how people will oppress and dominate one another, and even the issues of uh, racism and uh, things like that that are taking place in our country that are so controversial. Until we address it from the level of shame and how we feel that we are less than or putting people in their place if they are less than uh will never really deal with the issues and here's what i mean by that um people may have heard that guilt says i've done something bad where shame is a voice and an experience that says i am bad shame says i've done something wrong I've broken a commandment, I've gone 60 miles an hour in a school zone that's 20 miles per hour, and shame says, I am wrong. Shame is both an experience that usually has to do with the eyes of another seeing us where we come up in our mind or in our experience as deficient, as as I said, less than, inadequate, not good enough. And uh, Pat Carnes talked about, in Out of the Shadows, four core beliefs, and I restate them a little bit differently in Surfing for God. But for most men, there's this belief that I'm um, uh, an unworthy or bad person. And many men will go, "Eh, you know, that sounds like Eeyore. I'm not an unworthy, bad person walking around hanging my head. But every man I've ever met, and this goes right back to Genesis 3, has some sense of inadequacy. And even if they're great at their job or at a sport or feeling really adequate about hunting or something like that, every man feels inadequate with his wife, which is why stand-up comedians, you know, have so many routines about men and women and things like that. Because when Adam woke up from his sleep and he saw Eve, he, he, he either read this poem or sang the song, Bone of My Bones, Flesh of My Flesh. But she was a mystery. And a mystery to be known, not solved, but to be known and experienced. And because she was a mystery, there's the sense of, I have no idea how to relate to this person that is so different from myself, yet so like myself. And God created it that way so that we as men would, with our strength and courage, step into the mystery of engaging with a woman. Um, so it's generally in an intimate relationship and in our marriage where shame often has the most power. And um, this is no small point. Shame is never from God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God the Father is exactly like Jesus, and Jesus is exactly like the Father. And there's nowhere in Scripture— where Jesus shames people, and sexual sinners in particular, uh, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, and how we interpret the story in John 4 with the woman at the well, there's a lot of scholarly work coming out right now saying that Jesus wasn't per se talking about sexual sin, that she's had five husbands, but either way, he's speaking deep into her heart and loving her in the midst of shame and cultural perceptions um, over and over and over, Jesus is meeting people that are broken, wounded, and sinful, and having nothing but mercy and compassion and the absence of shame. And the people that um, Jesus reserves being stern and strong and opposing with a with a sense of getting in their face are the people who are religious, who claim to have crossed all the Ts dotted the eyes. They have the right theology. And they have no need for God. And so Jesus is disrupting them. But here's this verse in Romans. We all know the first part, and we oftentimes don't read the second part. Uh, How do we be saved? Romans 10, 12, 13, and 14. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And then it says, dot, 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 for anyone who believes in the Lord will never be put to shame. And so one of the fruits and the effects of this pronunciation of what it means to be living in relationship in the love of God is that we are free of shame. And the reason why this is important is because my story was, when I was a young Christian, I memorized a lot of scripture. And so I would, I would masturbate, I would look at porn, I would act out. And till the day I got caught, I would Confess my sin over and over and over and over again. You know, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Oh, Jesus, I come to you and I feel terrible about what I did. And I just confess that I'm a sinner. And I would usually berate myself and debase myself and try to convince God how convinced I was of how bad I was. And that was my understanding of repentance. The worse I felt about myself, the better God would feel about me. Well, that's not how God works. That's not what a good parent is. That's not the God that Jesus reveals. And over and over I'd confess, and the guilt never went away. And there were times where I eventually just started going, Well, it might take a week, maybe two weeks, for this guilt to kind of dissolve. And it doesn't feel like it's the cross, but. It'll eventually go away, and then it'll kind of be below the surface. And then I learned about shame, and I went, oh, no wonder I confess, and it doesn't feel like my guilt is taken away. My guilt was taken away, really, when Jesus died on the cross. The purpose of confession is for me to experience cleansing, blessing, absolution, the gaze of my father looking into my eyes saying, I've always loved you. You were forgiven before you confess." But what was lingering was shame. And shame is an embodied experience. We feel it in our body more than anything else. Uh, it's intolerable. It's that sense of being naked in our soul, which is why Adam and Eve put fig leaves over themselves. God never told them to do that. There was a sense of, ooh, now that we know good." and evil there's this potential for us to really do damage to one another and when you look at me adam and when you look at me eve you're going to look at me and what you see will not be good and um shame fuels addiction because addiction tell our shame tells us that we're deficient and our compulsive behavior or addiction becomes the way to become sufficient and to be adequate and uh, not to stoke my own podcast, I appreciate you at the beginning doing a shout out for that, but we just did uh, a five part series on five ways that shame fuels addiction. And, um, you know, I may seem like the guy that has all the knowledge, but I've really had to dig deep and think about what, what ways does this happen? And is this really true? Last thing I'll say about shame, is that many times a man will get real traction in his recovery, in his journey toward freedom, but will find that he's again and again and again falling, even with intermittent periods of freedom. And it's often shame that hasn't been dealt with. And when a man or woman really begins to chip away and dismantle shame and get free of the shame and understand the triggers around shame, that there's a real breakthrough because uh, I quote Andy Comiskey in my book, he said that shame is like a raincoat over the soul that repels the living water of Jesus that would establish us as the beloved. And there's this work in recovery, and I would argue all of life and relationships, where we need to peel back that raincoat of shame and look at what are the lies that are there? What are the things we're believing about ourselves, about God, and how we have to do life?
0: It's extremely helpful. Yeah. And that process that you were talking about, confession, and uh, the shame didn't go away. You're waiting for a week. I, I just remembered in the book, I think you called that, uh, you named it, wash, rinse, and repeat, something along that line, right? Um, that uh, That's classic. I, I know that I had struggled with that for so many years. It's the same process, promising God, I'm never going to do this again and and then it's uh you know i really thought that i meant it but then i just went back to the behavior and it really is baffling um and that's uh some something i just recalled uh, addiction addictive behavior has been labeled as cunning and baffling i think uh, that's like an a slogan of what what it is so that is so helpful so, Michael, I wanted to uh, shift gears a little bit and ask if you if you would talk a little bit about your podcast and your um, some of the resources that that uh, restoring the soul that your ministry offers. I know that there's some cr- incredible intensives uh, for men, and I know that your wife has some incredible things for women for betrayed partners and so on. Yeah, first
1: of all, the podcast is really dedicated to helping people close the gap between. How we are created to be and live and our actual lived experience Uh, my reality was okay god i love you i serve you uh, i'm passionate about you and that was always the case since i became a christian when i was 16 and there would be this but and the but was my lived experience feels so far away from what i believe and most of that was secret and hidden and I believe one of the the things that people are struggling with today, all throughout the church, and why so many young people, especially, are leaving the church, is that there's this gap, and they don't know how to close the gap between what they believe and what they experience. And um, a lot of churches and groups go like, "Ooh, experience that can't be trusted. We shouldn't seek experience with God." And I would say, "Have you read the scriptures? Uh, Genesis." Uh, chapter uh, two, and and you know all the way to Revelation, that it's all about knowing God, walking with God, not believing. We be- we start with belief, um, but not belief that God exists, but what He's actually like. Um, so we have podcasts with authors, thought leaders, theologians, pastors, counselors. Uh, it's mostly an interview format of about 140 episodes, and there's maybe 10 or 20 that are just me doing teaching, and it's increasingly becoming more of that. Um, I'm a big believer that how does someone heal from any addiction, relationship, and regulation, and reorientation? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the pursuit of purity is not about Suppressing our lust, but about reorienting our life to a larger goal. And that goal shouldn't be, I want to stop sinning. The goal should be, I want to be free to step into the life that I was created to live. I want to be free to step into the kind of relationship with God where I can live loved. Um, And so the relationship is, man, we've got to be connected. And I think that's what's so powerful about the ministry that you and your bride do is is that it comes out of your own story and you're giving people hope saying, here's a way to be connected and to be known. And it's impossible to heal from an addiction uh, by yourself because one of the definitions of addiction is an unhealthy relationship that alters your mood with a person, substance or process. And so our addiction itself is a relationship and we need a different kind of relationship to heal. Uh, The regulation part is, um, and I I loved how when I checked out your website recently, that there's a lot of great information on there about our bodies and regulating our emotions. And, you know, that's one of the things that folks don't realize is that it's our uh, it's our stress. It's how our nervous system gets activated. It's how most of us walk around, uh, whether it's because of covid and what's happening in our country or our job or our family or our history that we walk around in a fight flight mode or a freeze mode where we're numb um, and cortisol and adrenaline run through our system. And if you have trauma in your background, even more so. So until you address that, uh, you're going to be looking for something to affect your mood and to help your mood. And so that, that second piece is regulation. And there's a lot on our podcast with therapists about that. Um, And then finally reorientation. And, And that is, how do I find my bearings to go in the direction that I want to go and to understand that this journey is not about stopping sinning? Most men that I work with go, just just help me to stop what I'm doing. And Jesus is much more interested in uh, aligning our hearts with him, learning to receive learning to live loved, learning how not to grasp toward things that are life-giving, like the original sin in the garden was grasping, but instead learning how to be grasped by his love, Uh, learning how to live in sacred rhythms that allow our soul to thrive, learning how to feed our soul so that we starve the addiction, and learning how to be intimate and connected with ourself, who we are, what we feel, what we think, what our core beliefs are, learning how to be connected to others and uh, learning how to be connected to God in ways that are really about freedom. Our ministry, uh, and again, I so appreciate you asking about this, is uh, we do intensive counseling in one and two week programs Monday through Friday, uh, that when people have done counseling uh, and they're they're stuck, they're not getting traction, maybe when they're in a crisis and they can't wait months or even years to experience breakthrough or healing, uh, they can come to Colorado and during the quarantine there are virtual intensives and go really deep into the brokenness that's there and into the root issues, the below the waterline issues and experience some profound healing um, and then we offer twice a year a men's intensive weekend called the surfing for god weekend intensive 66 hours it's not a retreat it's a therapeutic weekend uh we've done 14 of these and we've had close to a thousand men go through and it's it's so powerful to watch men who have known god for a long time uh, encounter the love of god in a new way in their brokenness. In a very safe place, um, and it just becomes a capacity, a place for really deep connection with other men, and understanding some of the very issues that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I definitely wanted our listeners to hear that and to take advantage of these incredible resources. So, um, so you're you're talking about coming to Denver area, right? You're just outside of Denver, I believe, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, we're in Lakewood, Colorado, just on the edge of Denver.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, do you, is there some resources for wives as well that uh, Julianne has to offer there?
1: Yeah, the there's a quote unquote uh, hidden page, and it is restoringthesoul.com dot com forward slash julianne dash betrayal, and it's J U L I A N N E dash betrayal and on that page uh there's some messages from her some podcasts that we've done uh where she talks about five things that men need to know about their wife in recovery and five things that women need to know uh when you discover your husband's betrayal uh she's spunky and a great communicator so some of the information people may go oh i've heard this but she just says it in a way that's very uh Oftentimes, uh, a new way of thinking about it. And then um, there's some videos and other resources there. Uh, and then there's another page. If anybody is an Enneagram fan and they've listened to Typology, uh, they might. this may sound familiar, but you can get a document called Five Ways That Trauma Derails Relationships. And as you know, so much of uh, what drives addiction is our wounding and how we mishandle that pain, and sometimes that actually is embodied trauma. So the website for that is restoringthesoul.com forward slash typology, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y, and they can get that document. And many have found that helpful going, oh, this is the dance that I do in my marriage or in my intimate relationship, and this is why uh, there's sexual compulsion. That's been healing for many as well.
0: Yes, excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I I think I had some insider information on <laughs> some of the resources that you guys have there. And I th- I would just love it if people would take advantage of that. Hearing a woman's perspective is so, so valuable. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I know this is going to be an incredible benefit for everybody who hears it. And um, any closing thoughts that you'd like to add before we sign off?
1: Yeah, I always just want to say there's hope. I know there's people listening probably in faraway countries uh, or right around the block that are wondering, you know, am I really ever going to be free? Am I always going to be dominated by this? And will I always feel worthless and unlovable and that God is disappointed in me? And if you looked at porn five minutes before uh, listening to this podcast, if you just got discovered having an affair, God is not disappointed with you. God is not frustrated with you. God is not in heaven Looking down his nose with his glasses perched like an English uh, schoolmaster going, you know, you have failed the test. Uh, God is restoring your soul in ways you don't even know. Psalm 23 tells us that he's ahead of us. He's guiding us on this path. And so my prayer for all of your listeners is that Ephesians 118, that the eyes of their heart would be opened in order to know the hope to which they're called. And there's a, a lot that we can see when we say, God, help me to see, help me to see myself, help me to see the root issues, help me to see um, you working. But, but the God that we call our Lord looks like Jesus and he never shames and his arms are always open and his words on his lips are always come closer, come closer uh, and there's a welcome for us. That's the hope. And um, I think in our struggle, we forget that sometimes.
0: Friends, I am so glad that you were able to join us for today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any of our episodes and click on the stars to give us a rating. We would love for you to do that. Again, to find the resources that Michael Cusick was talking about, you can go to his website at restoringthesoul.com. You can pick up a copy of his book. Surfing for God, just about anywhere that you could find books these days. And for more information and resources that we have to offer, visit living-truth.org.